Hey there, everybody. How you doing? Good? Uh, I wanted to talk about something today. It's kind of a broad topic, and it's going to probably cover maybe one or two or three or maybe more episodes of Snowflake 33. I've been thinking about a word lately, and the word is fame f-a-m-e fame and it's been kind of i guess uh, occurring to me how should i put this It, it kind of occurs to me that um for a lot of the people who see a guy like me you know uh a musician a performer uh like me, my age, um, they probably at some point in the thought process wonder if I'm 45 years old and I still haven't made it, quote unquote, then I must not be that good or I must not be worthy of fame. And it's a pretty hardcore thing to think about uh, when you're in the business that I'm in because it's true <laughs> you know it's true uh, the question has to be asked and trust me I've asked myself this question every day for the past 40 years you know am I good enough and if I were good enough wouldn't I have made it already and I would say yes there is a part of me that says You know, yes, if I were, quote, good enough, I would have, quote, made it by now. Um, There's one half of me that has to concede to that. Okay. Uh, Without question, that's a, I think that is a, a fact. And, uh, yes, part of the reason, part of the reason that I have never, quote, made it famous is because I'm not good enough, but there's a whole other half of it, okay? And there's a lot of aspects to this topic. I mean, the more I thought about the word fame, just just the word fame, what it means, and in the context of my existence, what that word has meant, how it's changed how the meaning of that word has changed and my, and my viewpoint of fame has changed over the years. So I think it's good to talk about. And I'm not quite sure if I've ever heard anybody really tackle this, so I'm going to have a go at it. Okay. Now, the first thing I want to talk about when we're talking about the word fame is as far as my life is concerned and my experience as a performer um, that I'm going to have to talk about the first working band I played in. Okay. The first working band I played in and when I say that I mean band that got paid to play shows and um, when I was about 14 years old, let's say, yeah, I think I was about 14. 
Um, I was playing in a band that I had started with some friends of mine from high school. And that band was originally called Open Fire. That was the name of the band. And uh, we eventually changed our name to Rotary 10. Okay. But we were a working band. And in hindsight, I think we were probably one of the busier bands that I've played in. Um, And we got paid. And we did really, really well. I mean, for a bunch of high school kids who were doing, uh, (laughs) you know, Genesis covers and Billy Joel covers and Violent Femmes covers. I mean, we were just all over the place. Um, We even had a version of uh, Three Blind Mice that became (laughs) like kind of like our hit, you know, Um as much as it, it could have been in that circumstance, you know. Uh, but with this band, it was like, it was really interesting because it was a great social experience for me. Uh, it was my first experience with fame. Now, it was on a very small level. I mean, microscopic level. But to a 14, 15-year-old kid, it was very real. Okay, because it was in my reality. It was not some abstraction. It was people who I knew and came up to me and talked to me and the way that I was treated by people. And it was almost as if, like, being in a band and being in a band that was good and popular was kind of a ticket into a lot of different things socially for me in high school. And even though uh, we weren't a mega success on MTV, to our local area, and when I say local area, I don't just mean the city I grew up in. I mean uh, the surrounding region. You know, we had become a popular band to have come play at your party. And I don't know if it's like this now or what, but when I was a kid, there were parties like every weekend. We had, there were so many parties and so many, um, yeah, there were just, there were so many parties when I was a kid. And we would get hired to play these parties and it was just, it was almost like a movie. Okay. My life was almost like a movie and you know how you you go to a party sometimes and there's like nobody there really. It's not really like anything going on. These parties that we were having were like movie parties where the house is full of people and just crazy stuff going on. I mean, it was like an event, you know, and we were the, we were the entertainment for the evening. So you can only imagine you know, going, literally, going city to city as just a bunch of high school kids. You know, if we were freshmen in high school, um, we were a popular draw. And if people knew we were playing, they would come. Um, we played all kinds of music. So that, that would be one thing I want to talk about really quick, like a little side note, is that the, the music that we were playing was very diverse. 
And at that time, we were, you know, emulating what was on the radio, uh, you know, providing that soundtrack for people at their parties, what they wanted to hear. We also threw in some of the music that we wanted to play. And we weren't writing original songs yet. We, we, we weren't there yet. But we were going to get there very soon. But for like maybe the first year or two, we only did covers. And maybe one instrumental or something that we had original instrumental or something. You know? So you can kind of get what I'm talking about here. Now, the, the fame aspect was like, obviously, it wasn't on a major level. But for a high school kid, you know, a freshman in high school, it was like an instant popularity. Okay? And people treated me differently because I was in that band. And it was really weird. And the, the crowd at our school that rallied around our music and our performances were kind of like, um, there was ownership there. We were their band. And when they had a party, we played. And uh, even in neighboring cities, as the word started to spread, we, we started to play everywhere. I mean, in our region, it was just every weekend there was a party and it wasn't even really about the money. You know, it was about the experience and, and, and playing music and enjoying it and watching people enjoy it. But it was my first taste of being treated differently because I was in a band. And it was a weird feeling, okay, but I was aware of it to a certain degree and so were the other guys in my band and I'm not entirely sure it was something we were all really comfortable with or we it wasn't something that we all understood in a mature way but it, it was real and it was small but it was a taste of that Okay, so that was my first whiff of fame. Okay, on a very small level. Now, I'm going to talk about the group I played in after that. Because now this is where the story starts to get really interesting. Okay? I played with that band, Rotary 10, for about two years. And... By the time we parted ways as a group, we had written a lot of original material, started to play a lot of original material, and um, had kind of established ourselves uh, as writers to write original songs. Okay? And the crowd we had liked our original songs. And actually, they were pretty good. <laughs> when, I, when I think about them, when I hear them now... Uh, they were actually pretty good. Uh, even though we were just a bunch of kids learning how to write songs. You know? But after that band parted ways, I um, I was floating around for about two years. You know, I was practicing my drums. Um, and yeah, it took about maybe a year or two off. But it was like 
uh, because I just couldn't find anybody that I really wanted to play with. There was there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, there was slim pickings, you know. I spent a lot of that two years learning how to play guitar, keyboards, drums. You know, I, I was practicing and learning those instruments. So 1990 rolls around, and right out of high school, I got into a group. And that group was called Thumper Incorporated. That was the name that we came up with. Really goofy name, really silly name, which is kind of what we wanted. Whimsical. I think we had another name originally, and I forget now. I can't believe it, but I I can't remember what we were called originally. If I think about it hard enough, I can probably remember, but I don't right now. But Thumper Incorporated was like one of those things where... It was like meant to be. It was meant to be. But we were like a a hardcore funk band, (laughs) which is hilarious to even say now. I can't, you know, it's so hilarious, but um, that's what we were. And this band, for some reason, I don't know. It just was like, I don't even think we were really, we weren't really that good. You know, I mean, I I just... I don't think we were really that good, but... People latched on to what we were doing. And in a major way. And it was really... Fast. You know? Uh, it was not long after we started to play live that... The crowd sizes were just crazy. And at the time... I thought to myself, I'm like, man, this is this is easy. It was easy to get here. Like, it's going to be like this from now on, you know? Wrong. Um, but the crowd sizes were huge. And we're not talking about 500 people. Some of these shows, some of the shows we were playing were like 1,000, 2,000 people. And we were, you know, we were just doing very well. And... It was odd because even though we were not a major international success, okay, it was a, again, it was the second brush with fame and how, how differently you get treated and the things that come with that, you know, um, and this, this was a crash course in that because the crowds were crazy. It was huge. Um, we, we were as big as a local band could ever dream of being, okay, without becoming a national or international group. We were doing very well and selling out shows and large venues, and we were selling a lot of records, and we, we, we had made a vinyl record, uh, 7-inch vinyl, uh, collectible vinyl, that was the idea, um, we had signed a deal with a small label to release this seven inch and it was like right around that time it was just really just at its peak at its craziest and I say at its peak and it's a good way of putting it because it definitely peaked and then it started to taper off you know the famous cliche of what goes up 
must come down. Let me tell you something. It's totally true. And the lesson I learned in all of this was, you know, all those people that were coming to our shows and all those people who wanted a backstage pass and they wanted, you know, to be there when we were taking photos or anybody who, you know, all these people who were trying to latch on to what we were doing. As soon as we peaked and we started to taper down, they jumped off like rats off of a sinking ship. Okay. And it was my first hard lesson in just because somebody likes what you're doing doesn't mean they're your friend. Just because someone is smiling and they're sitting next to you in the dressing room patting you on the back doesn't mean that they're your friend. Okay? And I was just a young guy. I was a a young man. You know? I wasn't a child, but I was a young man. And it had a profound effect on me. To put it as clearly as I can, it changed the way I perceived fame. And I'm a pretty sensitive person, okay? Um, My feelings are easily hurt by people, okay? And... That was a very bad experience for me. Not because my band wasn't popular anymore. That aspect of it was sad and, you know, uh, frustrating and all of those things. It wasn't just that. It was a lesson in how fickle people can be. And how disingenuous they can be. And I never forgot it. Okay. I mean, in this situation, it was like we went from zero to a hundred in about a year. Took us about a year. And we tapered off after the second year. We had a solid year of growth and enjoyment and huge crowds. And then it started to taper off. And when it did, it was like, rapid you know and all these people that were fans and you know uh, at one time you know wanted my autograph you know they wanted me to sign the record and they you know uh, just a lot of people okay um, they turned on us they not only they were not only not interested in the music or the band or anything like that. They weren't interested in me as a person anymore. They abandoned me as a person, even though I regarded them as a friend. I regarded them as a friend who came to my shows, but they were still very much, in my mind, a real friend to me. And it was you know, this lesson of separating the two that the fans of my band are not my friends. They just like the music or they like somebody who likes the music. They want someone to think they like the music or something. I don't know. But it was this really hard lesson to me that I never 
truly got over or completely forgot. I mean, I loved these people. You know, they were my friends. At least I thought they were. I thought they were my friends. And ultimately, they just wanted something from me. They just wanted something from me. That's it. They just wanted something from me. And they took it. And they left. And they weren't my friends. And that was a very bitter pill to swallow. I I realized at that time that I was probably too sensitive for this industry. It was like my first acknowledgement that I might not want that anymore. I don't want to go through that feeling of abandonment anymore. And it was a the beginning of a barrier that I would put up. No matter how nice and gushy people were about what I was doing, I would always keep them at arm's length because it hurt. It hurts when they leave. And yeah. Now, it was also around this time uh Because as a band, we had gotten to a different level. There was a a crowd of people that were being ushered into our lives that we didn't know. Okay? And we were shaking hands and meeting people that we did not know. But they were there for a reason. And... It became clear to me, not right away, okay, but over time, that these were the gatekeepers that we were meeting, okay, and that we were shaking hands with. And you weren't going to do anything unless they let you in. And it was intimidating. It was. And it made me uncomfortable. So not only did we have this audience of people that were, you know, I wouldn't call them sycophants, but they were fair-weathered friends, okay? To put it the best way possible. They were just there for a good time. And we didn't mean as much to them as people as they meant to us, okay? So we're dealing with that that aspect of things in our young adult minds. And I would say, you know, I wasn't the leader of the band, but I was, in a lot of ways, a go-to person uh, for the band. I was responsible for a lot of aspects of what was happening. And that means booking shows and signing contracts and doing all that. It was my signature on the paper. Okay, And I started to brush up against this groove of people that I did not know. And um, like I said, it made me uncomfortable. But I also started to become aware there were certain compromises that were going to need to be made. And they were compromises that I was not willing to make. And 
my position was not a popular one as a as a musician and as a person the the stance i was taking was not acceptable to these people and ultimately ultimately it was the demise of my band and it was the demise of our rise it it, it halted our rise okay my my unwillingness and when I look back on it now I realize that I made a choice okay there are two paths you can take and I took one while pondering the other <laughs> okay um, there was a fork in the road you know and uh, I chose one path while pondering the other and I look back on all of that now and I understand what it meant to my life okay even though I was just a young guy I was a young adult I was probably about 21 years old I kind of realized that because I'm not going to go along with this group of people uh, that I'm going to not be able to participate in certain things now that immediately you know solidified inside of myself that I wasn't going to stop doing this because I wasn't going to be able to participate on a certain level I wasn't making music to make money I wasn't making music to be famous I was making music because that's what I knew how to do that's what I did it was a gift. It was just something I could do. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to learn about it. I didn't have to take lessons. It was just just there. I mean, if it would have been any other, you know, talent or something, I would have followed that. If it would have been, you know, being a good salesman, I would have been a salesman. But I wasn't good at that. I was good at making music. It's what I could do. It's what I knew how to do. So, you know, you fast forward, you know, 30 some years later, I'm 45 years old. I'm still making music. I never stopped. It's just, I'm not going to be able. And and, I mean, at this point, I know, I know that I, I am not going to be able to participate, you know, on a certain level. It's just never going to happen for me because I will not go along with this group of people it's not going to happen it's not going to happen and there's a part of me that has to just accept that and it does occur to me that to the listener to someone who has no idea what my life is about or what has gone on for the past 45 years you have to ask yourself the question it's a natural thing i mean this guy is 45 years old he's still making music you know What's up? Does he suck? Is it is he bad? What's going on there? And like I said, I ask myself that question all the time. But when I look back, I'm reminded. I'm reminded that uh, I remember why. I remember why. And I know why. 
I never made it. And it will never stop me from making music. Because I never made music to be famous. And I never made music to make money. It was just what I knew how to do. And that is the end of this segment of this discussion that we're going to have about fame. Okay? Um, The next episode will be about my third brush with fame. And it was not too long after the Thumper Incorporated success that we had. Yeah. And, you know, it solidified the fact that I would never make it. So tune in for that. For now, this is Mike Bostwick signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.